You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Hello, welcome to the RUV English podcast. My name is Darren Adam. Thank you very much for your time. I want to introduce a voice which will probably be, I hope will be familiar and I trust will be welcome to you as well as we launch this new and expanded podcast service here at Roove, I am standing on the shoulder of one giant in particular, and that is Alex Elliott, who has just rolled his eyes in horror at the very suggestion. Welcome back to Roove, Alex. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yeah, so you uh, were doing this. You were sitting in this chair or a chair very much like this mm -hmm. until I think the middle of last year. Yeah, well, the, the podcast took a break um, from the middle of last year, but yeah. I was still pumping out the news articles until the autumn, well into the autumn. You were indeed, and you were uh, attracted elsewhere in this amazing country, weren't you? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Back <laughs> back to the sort of spiritual home of the Westfjords. Yeah, because when you, I think, first came to Iceland, you lived and worked there. Not immediately, no. I worked and lived in Reykjavik for a few years, and then I went up to the Westfields to do my master's degree at the university centre up there, which, of course, is the opposite to what everyone else does. They all come to Reykjavik. And so, yeah. so being back here in this building, then, so the first time you've been back at Roof since... Uh, no, since I came you? for lunch. Did you? And to return my IT equipment and, you know, give everyone a, a, a happy Christmas and that sort of thing. Well, I wanted to talk to you on this... Uh, which is actually our second podcast episode, but it will be a continuation to an extent of what you did on The Week in Iceland. So that is going to fold itself into the new Roof English podcast service. And probably every Monday we will do as you did and speak to someone about what is happening in Iceland over the course of the week. But uh, we, we couldn't wait to get you on, which is why this episode, as the kids be saying, is dropping today, Thursday, <laughs> rather rather than on Monday. Um, oh, I'm so, not sure how I feel about that, well, the change. Well, I'd, I'd, I would take it. I would choose to see the compliment in it, if you yes, wish, exactly. uh, without question. And so thank you for being the first guest on this part of the new podcast service as the, uh, I guess, the baton is handed over. Absolutely. So, I wouldn't have missed the chance. Thank you for asking. Well, thank it's, you uh, for being here. Um, I want to start with, and this was when I wrote this story, an excuse to get a, the title of a much-loved British radio programme into the news here, just a minute, <laughs> because that is how long the negotiation, the latest negotiation between Epling and SA lasted just a couple of days ago. And we've got some more on, on what is now likely. We here at Rouve yesterday spoke to a couple of people working uh, at a couple of the hotels likely to be affected by the strike in the next few days. And the mood music is that this strike is coming, it seems. Yeah, I think that can't be a surprise since it did happen last time as well. Um, all of the hotels, I think, in Reykjavik, the whole of the Epling Union went on strike um, the last time this happened, um, this time they're looking at having just one company's hotels mm. affected. I don't know why necessarily or, or how that's going to work. Um, but the fact that they would go ahead and do the strike is, is I think, no surprise. Mm. Well, one of the maids to whom we spoke yesterday working at the Reykjavik Grand uh, is alluding to that point, saying that it is rather strange that only this small number of people are going to be taking uh, this action. But but she also says there are many people working at that hotel and various other hotels who actually don't want to strike. And, you know, this sense that Epling are really leading this, maybe some people say overplaying their hand. Maybe some people are saying that. Yeah. Um, in, it's interesting, at least, that Epling is the one union that has stood aside from the negotiations that have been happening. And, and most of the other unions mm. did accept um, a deal. 
uh, especially this time after the pandemic and the way the world is at the moment. These are very short-term deals. It's mm. only for, I think, about a year, isn't it, until, until or the start of 2024. Um, and therefore, perhaps you could argue there is a little bit less riding on it. Mm. Um, that's not to say that we don't want to get a fair deal. Uh, and obviously, all the workers deserve a fair deal. And, as is widely reported, Epling represents some of the lowest paid workers. Yeah. Um, and so, therefore, it's perhaps reasonable that they're fighting the hardest. There's a nuclear option for bosses, isn't there, which is that they can impose a stoppage. They can essentially call a strike and close their I, workplaces. Yes. Um, I'm not quite sure how that would work. Um, but, yeah, that, that is a thing. And th- th- from what I understand, no one's saying that they're going to do that or no. would want to do that. Um, but I know that SA, when asked, have... have you know, performatively or otherwise, kept it on the table mm. and said, well, we don't want to get there, but yes, that is part of the legislation that we could maybe use. But it's damaging to everyone. It's damaging to everyone, isn't it? Um, yeah. It would be, I guess, petty in a way um, to say, no, you can't strike because we're not allowing you to come to work. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's a message, certainly. It's a huge message, but it's damaging to everybody. And it's it a roundabout way to get to mm. the destination, isn't it, I suppose? Well, 7th of February is when these strikes are expected to go ahead. Certainly the managing director of this hotel group, and there are seven hotels in the Eastlands Hotel group, is hopeful. I guess he would say that, wouldn't he? He's hopeful the strikes won't go ahead, but there does seem to be a head of steam behind this now. Yeah, I mean, when the, the latest round of talks isn't really a round of talks and it's... A, at best a hello goodbye yeah there's a serious problem and this has obviously gone through the process of the state mediator Mm. um, whose job it is to make sure that this doesn't happen and so yeah something big's gonna have to change and uh, for my money i would say the strike will happen and Mm. then they will go back to the table and see what will happen next it's Um, barely worth the state mediator booking the room was it (laughs) <laughs> for the last meeting indeed and it was funny in a well funny it was it was ironic perhaps that Epling and SA were meeting at the state mediator's office anyway before yeah. they asked for the involvement um which was unusual in itself yes. and, and Epling had called off negotiations I think exactly two weeks prior to to that point anyway so it does seem we've done a lot of talking mm. about these strikes about this dispute it has rumbled on without any real consequence yet and i suppose these strikes if they happen on the 7th of may uh, the voting is up until monday i think if they do go ahead this will be the first tangible consequence of this uh, this dispute i guess yeah exactly i mean all of the other unions representing over 100,000 workers in the country yeah. could have gone this route uh, they managed to avoid that to to not do that and i think all of the other unions certainly most of them have already signed and approved their latest deals, their their, um, collective bargaining agreements. So it is really Epling that's the only Mm. one that's uh, outstanding at this time, Um, which is good in the fact that it concentrates attention Mm. and they have undivided attention. And you'd have to assume will on all sides to to get this sorted because it's damaging. Um, Tourism is Iceland's biggest industry at the Mm. moment, the generator of the most export earnings, and therefore crippling the industry um in february it's the best time of year to do it um but still anything that affects that is damaging to the country's reputation and not desirable well this is i think far from the last time that we on the roof english podcast will discuss that particular issue as we sit here on thursday we are a day 
ahead of yet more strong winds and severe gales coming to the country. Indeed, as we sit here, there are warnings of severe gales across the country. And on Friday morning, that is the 27th of January, Iceland Air have already said to some of their passengers, if you want to preemptively move your flight to avoid these strong winds which are forecast, then you can. Although, as we sit here, they are in fact saying that their schedule is going to run um, to time. I'm interested in what Icelander said last week, though, because we, we had the, the really quite distressing sight, and distressing, I guess, if you were stuck on one of those planes, of passengers being stuck for up to 12 hours. On the tarmac, these were planes that had come into the country, they'd come into Keplavik, and they could not be emptied. Passengers could not disembark because the winds were just so very strong. It was unsafe to get them, impossible, in fact, to get the jet bridge or even the steps up to the aircraft. And this does happen um, from time to time. It happens occasionally. It's not happened for a few years, but boy, did it happen last weekend. Exactly. I mean, it, it, I would argue that it does happen every year. Um, maybe to a lesser extent, I think the, there's a certain wind speed that has to be um, uh, below in order to connect the air bridges, and it always goes above it. At some point, people get stuck on planes for an hour or two. Mm. Uh, not always all day. Not always all day. And which... I think what Icelander have said, well, they've said two things about this. Firstly, last weekend was exceptional because the wind speed was as high as it was for as long as it was. So there wasn't a chance to, at any point, get those air bridges onto the plane the runway was also very icy. Mm. So when they tried to de-ice uh, the, the runway using salt and various other commodities, that all just blew away. So the Did salt, you see that the, plane the salt, spinning? Uh, exactly. And there was, there was a plane that was anchored in place or tethered or whatever the correct aviation term is, I don't know, uh, which, which spun round, as you say, 180 degrees. And I think it actually clipped the, the terminal building or uh, the runway. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was empty and the, yes. just yeah, yeah, yeah. insane, really. Com completely so. So the, yeah. the, the, the length of the wind or the duration of the wind combined with the ice. And Icelandair also say the reason that the planes took off in the first place, because you might be thinking, well, hang on, why would you fill up the runway with, with aeroplanes if you can't empty them? The weather forecast changed. So you had these seven planes taking off from the USA with the weather forecast saying the wind is not coming till later in the day. The planes get there and, and all hell has broken loose because the forecast has changed. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's a little unfair perhaps to blame the airlines. They're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the weather is going to cause delays and, and problems, especially at this time of year. And all they need to do is really say, can we do this one thing now? And yes or no. And if they can, they do. Mm. The consequences come later. And that's what happened this time. Um, and, you know, safety is the top priority, even more than comfort. Yeah, I, I must admit, having flown so often over the years, I'm sort of of the mindset that thinks, just put the plane in the sky, I'll take the risk, it's fine, I'm quite willing to chance it, but of course, it's not entirely up to me, is it? I bought a car here in Iceland uh, recently, and when I was looking for a vehicle, it was really easy to tell the cars that had been used as hire cars in the mm. past, not because they were thrashed necessarily, or the gearbox was all, was all loose or broken or anything, but... On a number of cars, you could see that the driver door, the hinge of the door against the frame of the car, had obviously been damaged at some point. And those were the hire cars that had been given to tourists who didn't believe the warnings about the wind and let the wind basically wrench the door almost completely. It probably did wrench it off in some cases. Yeah, it does happen. It does. Yeah. And I remember my first, our first ever visit here, um, opening the door in such a wind and thinking, oh, that's what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes you by surprise. 
It does. Um, I mean, you've lived here for a, a, many years. Um, I guess we're getting into the stormier part of the year. People might be thinking, well, that's winter over as we get to the end of January, but I guess not so. Winter's a state of mind. Um, <laughs> I feel like January's the worst month, but then that's the case everywhere in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, February isn't much better. Um, for me, it's about light, though. I mean, December is very dark, uh, but mm. it's also very Christmassy. January is depressing because it's not Christmassy, but it's still dark. February, things are starting to go in the right direction. And then March, you probably still have winter storms and, yeah. and snow or lots of rain or whatever. It's not great, but there's lots of light and it does make a difference. Yeah, but Maybe not to the timetables of the airlines. but No, but I, I still see Christmas decorations up all over Reykjavik, which I love. It's great. Well, that's it depends on what your definition of a Christmas decoration is. Um, Santa Clauses and, and Christmas trees and stars, they've all gone away. The lights will stay up. They're, they're winter decorations. Yeah, but I saw, I saw a tree, an illuminated tree, a couple of days ago, and there was a Santa across the road from us that was there until just a couple of days ago as well. So mm. I approve of this very much. I do. But the lights, people keep their lights up until yeah, yeah. any time in February, really, um, because yeah. it's, it, I mean, literally, it's lights, you know, it's, it's cheerful. Am I unusual in being drawn to the Icelandic winter? No, I don't think so. It's, um, I like all the seasons here, um, and I like the fact that there are such stark, vivid seasons. Um, it's one of the reasons I love the country. I, mm. wouldn't, I, I would maybe make the winter a little shorter, um, but I enjoy it Do you have it that all. part? <laughs> you said that like I'm it was an option. <laughs> if if summer could be a month or so longer and winter a month or so shorter, so be it. <laughs> mm. I, something else I've noticed is that just over the month of January, the days have become appreciably longer. So when I finish work here at Rouve, for example, pitch dark at the start of the month at five o'clock in the afternoon, if not broad daylight, then certainly still daylight by the, by the end of uh, the end of January, rather. So it we is. Are, we're fully gaining yeah. eight minutes a day at the moment. As much as that, which is which is yeah, big yeah, difference, yeah. noticeable. Well, let's see how the airlines cope with whatever the remains of the Icelandic winter throw at them over the course of the next couple of weeks. But stormy. Stormy times ahead in a, in a literal sense. Um, let's move on to May, if you, you know, want to look ahead beyond the, the winter. Let's look to May when the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz confirmed a couple of days ago he will be here. The Council of Europe summit taking place in Reykjavik in May. Iceland holds the, uh, the, the chair of that at the moment. This will be a big deal, I guess. Yes, I think it's one of the biggest... Um gatherings of world leaders to happen in Iceland to date. Um, the fact that Olaf Schultz is definitely coming, and he confirmed it this week. Was there doubt about that? No. No, I don't, no, think, I don't so. think so. No, it's, um, It was just more of a sort of a handshake in front of the photographers, yes. we see you in Reykjavik sort of thing. Mm. Um, no, I think it's, it's going to be um, was dozens of, of world leaders from across the continent, one of the more expensive events to put on, um, but also a great opportunity to... Shine a light on, on Iceland and, yes. and its place within Europe. And that was touched on by a lot of German media when the Icelandic Prime Minister, Katrin Jakobsdottir, was, was asked about the European Union and Iceland's possible place in it. Now, she, of course, leads a government, uh, the policy of which is not to join the European Union. Iceland is a member of the single market, essentially, a member of the 
EEA, but it is not a member of the European Union. The Social Democrats, who on, on recent polling are tied with the Independence Party, I think, they have certainly been the most Europhile party in the past in Iceland, or one of them. And is it still their policy, do we know, to seek membership of the European Union? Catherine saying, essentially, it's not on the cards anytime soon, but that presumably means it's not on the cards for as long as I'm prime minister. How could she control anything <laughs> beyond that point? Yeah, exactly. Um, the the EU question is is a difficult one. I think a majority of the Icelandic population has always been against joining. Um, however, that briefly changed after the banking crisis when the Social Democrats came to power, mm. leading a government under Johanna Sigurdardottir, and they applied to join the EU on Iceland's behalf. Now, what happened after that is that the application process was withdrawn um, without Parliament's say, just mm. with the letter in, I think, 2014 um, from the foreign minister. And the legality of that, and indeed whether or not it was binding, um, has sort of haunted Parliament and mm. the government ever since. Um, so the Social Democrats are basically saying... We applied and the idea was to always finish accession talks and then put it to the people um, uh, in a referendum to mm. see whether we accept these and whether we want to join. That's where they want. They haven't changed their stance, basically. Yeah. Um, and they think and, that the application was withdrawn illegally, for want of a better word. Right. But if they were to attempt to resume that process in the face of what you contend is public Euroscepticism, I mean, would, would that be potentially electorally damaging to them in a, in a future election, if that was their policy? That is possible. Um, on the other hand, you know, this has been their, openly their policy uh, for, for decades, yeah. you know, many years. Um, and so changing a policy based on the fact that it might make you look more popular, that could be damaging in itself. I think sticking to your guns... Mm. Mm, There's a lot yeah, to be said for that. Yeah. And those people who you know, will continue to favour EU membership for Iceland will need a party to vote for, won't they? They'll need representation. Yeah, and there are two parties. Um, yeah. The Reform Party, Vidrest, uh, are pro-EU as well. And, you know, it's a lot narrower than it was at one point. Um, you know, it's approaching half, mm -hmm. half and half, mm -hmm. maybe 40, 60 yeah. Whatever. And Iceland's place in the single market then, in the EEA, mm. that does not seem to be in doubt. Obviously, we, we speak as two native Brits coming from a country that went from being in the European Union to not even being in the EEA, the hardest form of so-called Brexit. There doesn't seem to be any appetite here to take Iceland out of the arrangement it made in the, the 90s to be part of the EEA. No. I mean, there has been occasional talk of withdrawing from Schengen, um, as a response to organised crime. And, mm. to and, and Schengen, safe. of course, is separate from the EU, not unrelated. Exactly, yeah. I mean, Schengen is, is, is an EU convention, um, but others can join it. For exactly. example, Switzerland, yeah. Norway, Iceland. So that has come up, but it hasn't really had a lot of mm. uh, discussion, uh, certainly not serious discussion. And the EEA itself is, is I think, pretty universally deemed to be a, a good thing. It's helped Iceland's economy grow, Um Undeniably. Let's move on to, as, as we've been talking about Europe in its in its broadest sense, <laughs> let's now bring, oh, I don't know, Israel and Australia into the fold as we talk about Europe and the 10 songs which will be revealed 
over the weekend that will represent or will compete to represent Iceland in the Eurovision Song Contest. Huge excitement across the country about Eurovision every year. I was here one year when Iceland weren't even in the final. And I went to buy a pilsa, a hot dog downtown, and I had to wait because the guy who was serving was glued to a little television set inside. So this is a very popular contest in Iceland, isn't it? It is, yeah, exactly. Um, I would just point out to any cynical listeners um, <laughs> that Darren has brought up Eurovision before the end of January. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, also brought up Christmas. Occasional, Occasionally people have been in touch with me saying that I take it a little bit too seriously, but that's not... I mean, it is me, to be fair, but Iceland <laughs> does. And, yeah. and and this weekend, as you say, the, the 10 songs that are going to be competing to be Iceland's entry mm. um, are, are going to be revealed. So that is a tiding of some excitement to some people. Uh, and it's something that does kind of start small and grows into a mm. sort of a wave. Um, I think at this stage, there was going to be some pretty good songs there's going to be some ones Mm -hmm. and and the the whole point of this is to weed them out and the process of these three shows these three live shows the two semi-finals and then the final is to do just that and it is one of the most uh, popular domestic tv productions of the year no denying well uh my friend siggy uh from rastver is going to be one of the new hosts of that show this year there are three presenters and he's doing it for the first time and i don't think he could be more excited about getting this gig, which he has wanted since he was a little boy. In fact, we'll talk to him on the Roof English podcast next week once we've heard the songs and as they're revealed on Saturday on Roof over the course of the weekend. Again, reflecting on this from our perspective as two native Brits, obviously in Britain, the Eurovision Song Contest is incredibly popular. It gets eight, nine, ten million viewers when the final happens but it's not taken terribly seriously it's very popular but it's not considered to be a serious thing iceland does along with many other countries which is why they tend to do better than the uk does take it seriously it i I think it depends on what you mean by taking it seriously they they see the funny side sometimes in the uk (laughs) yes there is you must have remember the butter churns from poland (laughs) (laughs) um it's just sort of accepting it all for what it is. And yeah. Sometimes people in Britain look at it and say, this is a bit tacky, and what is this? And some of the music isn't always great, but then some of the music is good. Iceland, I think, takes it more as a whole package and sort of gets it a little bit better, perhaps, yeah. um, that it is tacky and stupid in places, but that's just part of the joy. And Britain gets that too. It's just sometimes people don't want to admit it. But just in the last three year or four years, I suppose, if we include the COVID year, when you've got sort of breadth of styles as exemplified by Hattari and then Davi and then Sistur, three pretty different types of music represented there and all good songs. These were all quality pieces of music. None of that was silly. None of it was novelty. There wasn't a butter churn in sight, was there? No, absolutely. I mean, Iceland, in terms of the entries that the country sends, does definitely take it seriously. And as you say, there's no predicting beforehand, like as we are now, the week before we find out who's going to be competing, to say what the outcome's going to be. It could be another hard rock act. It could be something you've never imagined before. Um, and mm. that is that is part of the joy of it. And as you were comparing it to the UK, I know other countries do exist, um, 
they haven't really got a formula for how to pick the song. Sometimes it's a public vote some, on, on the cable channel on BBC Three. Sometimes it's just decided by the BBC and mm. it changes from year to year. Iceland has got a formula and, yeah. and it sticks to that and you get the results. Yeah. Well, so the process begins on uh, Saturday, a couple of days after we sit here. And as I say, we'll talk to Siggy, one of the hosts of the show, one of the new hosts of that selection show, next week on the Roof English podcast, if I can get him down from the ceiling, <laughs> which is where he's currently located. Yeah. He's in the right place because he's um, obviously been one of the more famous voices of Icelandic radio for a long time. But yeah. it wasn't within Roof and now he works here. He can, he's got this direct contact with Eurovision. <laughs> I, I feel his excitement. Well, yeah, it's, it's hard to miss. It is hard to miss. We'll talk to him next week. Alex, thank you very much for now. Um, I'd love to get you back on at some point. Sure, why not? This this is au revoir. Is there an Icelandic equivalent for au revoir, the idea that this is not goodbye forever, it's goodbye for now? That'll do, I suppose. (laughs) We will will talk again. Um, One thing I want to maintain that you did uh, when when this was the Week in Iceland podcast, which of course continues as part of our new service, uh, is to play out with a piece of music. And uh, I'm obsessed with this piece of music. It's actually a Faroese artist called uh, Sakaris, uh, who has released a new EP this week, just in the last few days. It is called Domestic Disco 106, and this is the track that has been and is obsessing me right now. It is called You Complete Me.
You're listening to the Roof English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is/english.